0: Welcome to the Community Feedback Loop, a weekly podcast about sharing conversations between people in gaming and esports focused on community, public relations, and how we communicate in the video game industry. I'm Bob Holtzman, the host for the show. I've worked in games since 2007 and founded Co-op Mode Communications, a consultancy that offers public relations for games as a service and the communities who support them. Follow Co-op Mode Communications on LinkedIn. You can connect with me via the links in the episode's description. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Drop a follow on Spotify. Please support the show if you like what we're doing. And on that, let's throw it to our interview. All right. Uh, today's conversation is, is going to be a fun one. Um, I, I, I personally think we're talking to one of the true visionaries in terms of gaming community development and management. You know, he s- seems like he's one of those people that always sees where we're going and and is already there. Uh, you know, his in, his knowledge on esports and platforms. And, you know, frankly, I mean, he's here to tell us where we should be going next. So um, we worked together at Riot. I learned a ton from him while we were there. He was the global director of community. And, you know, he's we're going to talk about some of the other big companies he's worked at. He's currently laying the foundation at Amazon. Uh, welcome to the show, Ilya Rotelli.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, Ilya, um, one of the things that um, I want to talk to you about and I think is important for the audience to understand about you is um, you play a lot of games. You're passionate about video games. I mean, you do other stuff. You have other interests. But this passion for video games, it was like infectious. uh, You know, when we were working together, it's infectious when we have conversations. It could also be intimidating because, you know, I love games but I will not play them at the rate that you do. I will not know as many games and, and have the wisdom and experience you've built over the years and years of playing. And so I, you know, I have two questions here on this. Like, first off, you know, how do you schedule in your time around games? Because that's gotta be intense. And then the second one is like, go back to the beginning with us. When did you really realize you had this deep passion for the video game experience?
1: Yeah, I I do play some games. Uh, I did some math, and turns out that in 2020 I spent four percent of every hour playing League of Legends. Um, it's a lot of time, and that's League of Legends alone. Uh, I play every type of game, um, agnostic of platform, agnostic of genre. As long as it's a good game, I'll I'll try to play it. Uh, the secret, I, I I mean, I don't have children, right? And so uh, I am very sympathetic with all those uh, gamer friends I have that that obviously need to to, um, focus on on being great mothers and fathers. Um, But I have four cats, so after dinner, in the evening, that's what I do. As to um, your second question, yeah, I I grew up in a town in northeast of Italy, right? And uh, there were not a lot of games available. Uh, at that time, especially the type of strategy games that eventually I fell in love for. Uh, but when I was 14, a friend of my dad brought um, very complicated war game uh, and taught us how to play, and that was like my first. Oh wow, games can be much more deep. But at that time, obviously, no video games, right? So that that's what you would you would play. We're talking 1984. Uh, then I discovered RPGs, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Call of Thulu, Cult, Shadowrun, and I started um, doing, spending a lot of time studying books and reading how to become a game master. In 2000, sorry, in 1993, I went to the biggest Italian convention for games. It's called Luca Comics and Games. And they had uh, uh, the first uh, national game master tournament. And so I played in the tournament won the tournament i have the cup right here behind me and uh uh, that was transformational Uh, it was the first thing that i knew how to do right like i always sucked at kind of everything i was okay in school i i never did well at anything um but this was the one thing i knew how to do i could tell stories clearly uh and uh and from then onwards, I started looking at games from a completely different perspective, and they started becoming something significant. Turned out that the following year, Magic the Gathering came out uh, in Italy, um, and uh, and and that changed everything. But that became what I did, uh, what I was, became my friends. Uh, I started traveling around the country, becoming... Decent at playing the game. At the end of 1996, I was the top player in the country. At the end of the season, uh and uh, and then when Wizards of a Coast opened in Milan in 1998, uh, it became the obvious direction. Steve Jobs once said uh at a speech to a bunch of students, "I was lucky enough when I was a kid to figure out what I wanted to do in life very early, and that was just lucky, and that was the same thing that happened to me. I think those of us that have just the sheer luck of figuring it out early, have so much time in front of them to, to put their passion in their work.
0: I want to dig into something. Um, I mean, obviously all that is so fascinating that you were like the Italian national champion of magic, the gathering. I mean, how badass was, is that? I didn't win the,
1: I didn't win the, the finals, right? At the end of the season, there was the, the rankings of like, there was basically an entire season of tournaments in which you would uh, uh, score points. Okay. And then the top X players would be invited to the final. I ended up not winning the final. So I was not the national champion, Was the, just, just for the records. But at the end of the season, I was the number one ranked player in the country.
0: All right. Well, as a like a, a fan of competition sports, I have to ask, like, go back to that moment when you didn't win. I need to hear... What was that like? What was, you know, like, do you still think about that? Is that a motivating oh, yeah. factor for you? <laughs> I, do.
1: I do many times. Well, it turns out that I'm, um, I mean, the, the Italian, um, I, I I just started playing Magic earlier than many. And I think that was my original advantage. I'm not a better Magic player than a lot of my uh my friends back in those years and definitely turned out I couldn't compete at the international level. I went to five, I was invited to five professional tournaments in the years uh, and I was kind of sucked. My best, my really best performance has been at pro tour Paris. I didn't qualify for the pro tour, but I, because I got second place at the Qualify flat fire. And so there was a tournament for all the second, like a, <laughs> a PT tournament for all the second place players, that didn't make it to the big event. All really good players. I want that tournament. So that I'm basically like the second tier. <laughs> I, well, it's Dude, like as far as magic competitive is concerned.
0: I mean, anything competitive like this, it just the when you start to think about the layers, it, it doesn't matter whether it's basketball, golf, league of legends, magic the gathering. Like when there is a passionate audience and you start to realize like, how that that ladder builds—it's it's wild. And I mean, to win any tournament, I don't sell yourself short. Like you know, win any tournament to be that good. But I want to go back to one of the things you said, where you you talked about you started to build this love of learning around. Well, first, it sounds like game mastering, and then Magic the Gathering. Um, what triggered what what has that triggered for you moving forward in your career? And and you know, um, especially when you, maybe you've pivoted into other things like, okay, now I'm gonna manage a community or you know, now I'm gonna be a champion for esports. Um, you know, how does that building block there, right? Like you said, well, I was never really good at anything. Well, you weren't good at these things either, but you invested the time, right? You know, talked about parenting, you know, this is something I'm trying to teach my kids. How do you? see that there is a intention to you know making the effort and then the effort helps um you know rearrange what the actual outcome is
1: it was always friends uh friends at the end of the day were the dominant force of every narrative every moment both professionally and personally across um uh, the past uh, this point almost 30 years um Gaming is an excuse to know people. Gaming becomes an excuse to know people at a level that you normally wouldn't know them. For a creative uh, space, like an RPG, uh, in which everybody can express personalities, ideas, stories in a way that normal life wouldn't allow you to. And in competitive contexts, where traits of personality that wouldn't be exposed come up right like who are you as a competitive player is a really deep and different identity that you have so you get to know people in ways that normal life uh hardly allows you to explore because there are no serious consequences to gaming so for example at work you fail you succeed there are serious consequences uh in your family life you fail you succeed there are serious consequences in games there aren't really, right? Or there are only a certain levels, but most of gaming can happen in a safe space. And that allows an expression that is just not otherwise not possible. That drove to the community component, right? Like so once I understood the friends and connecting with people in a way that only gaming allowed, where the, the the engine, so to speak, then the mission of working on connecting people and allowing others to have the experiences that I had became an obvious play.
0: Okay. I, I'm going to, I want to like downshift here for a second because I think you're touching on something that's really interesting to me. Um, We talk about it. We've talked about it off offline, lots and lots. Um, Let's go big picture here. How do you see the industry right now when it comes to like community management and community relations? You know, I mean, it wasn't that, I mean, it's already been almost, I mean 5 years since we worked together at Riot and you know I think we felt like we were kind of at the cutting edge of things do you do you think uh what what's the progress like when you look at the industry as a whole do you feel like we're better are we still striving for something to you know really appeal to these audiences and and really understand them uh, you know because I I absolutely agree with you there's such a social component to all this um and then our job is to kind of balance the economic interest of a company against the you know social value that we provide to a community and and where do we find that that you know that that homeostasis almost I see
1: a few cycles that have happened uh, in the past 20 30 years and I feel like in the past few years we have taken a few steps back if anything on the community front um I'm optimistic about the future though uh, as these are cycles we're going to Refocus, and we're gonna get back on track. I think the reason is that, especially when it comes to the major players in the industry that are making games as a service, because community really matters fundamentally for games as a service. And so we're talking about the Wizards of the Coast, the Riot Games, the, the Blizzard, hopefully the Amazon Games soon. Um, and uh, when it comes to to these type of companies. Um, right now they're building games right they've they're all switched gears for a while and they've been focusing on like the 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 strategic priority has been building games and when you focus on building games you need to be putting your resources there right like so there's there's a lot of effort in making an amazing experience and so it's very reasonable that that's where their focus is at right now um that being said um in general, I find uh, I think there's a lot more progress that needs to uh, to happen, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the organizational structure of of companies. If it, it goes back all to the saying, "If you're a hammer, everything is a nail," right? Like if your job is making games, you're going to be making games. Um, and that's amazing. That's like that's that's like we we are blessed with companies that are made by gamers for gamers. We're blessed by companies that that are authentic and are trying to deliver these experiences that they have a vision for to a community. Um, the issue comes in when once you have launched the game, now the job changes entirely. The the game is out. You have to maintain it. You have to balance it. But now it's a relationship play. Now all everything becomes. I'm building a report between people that make games and people that play games, and everything I do is about managing that ecosystem, right? And and making that ecosystem as well as healthy as possible. Uh, different beast. It's not making games, right? Like the, the skill sets you need and the organizational structure your company needs in order to tackle. The challenge of maintaining and growing a game as a service is a completely different skill set that the one that brought you there in the first place. So uh, how do you transform an organization so that the new ethos, the new identity, and the new relationship with the customers becomes the center of the equation? That's the core of what the community discipline should come to the table and help drive. The problem is that community ultimately has always been pigeonholed as those People that that manage a, a conversation between players and between the players and the game team, as opposed to ecosystem management, as opposed to like taking responsibility over the world that the company has created with that game. And I'll stop talking now because I can go on for on this for hours.
0: Well, so i've I've had this like thought in my head, and it's it's kind of frustrating because um, I mean. We've lived through this challenge, right? Where it's like, well, can't you just make them happy? And, you know, And someone says that internally and you're like, actually, no, you need to because you need to fix the game. And then they're like, who are you to say that? And it's like, and then you get into this like really weird place where, you know, nobody feels good and y'all feel bad. And then and you end up going back to the community with a lesser message. One of the things that I think companies probably either need to say, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and, and I, I don't recommend this, uh, you know, as a communications consultant, you know, shameless plug here, don't do this, but I would rather you own it and just do it, than try to act like you're going to do real community development and management. And that is just admit like, Hey, we're not going to be um, a community focused company. What we're doing is we're building audiences and, and we're going to manage an audience and we're going to, talk to an audience. We're going to communicate with an audience and we're going to do those things. Do I think that will work? Sometimes, maybe. But do I think that's the right way to do it? No, not at all. But it's, it's, a, it's a dilemma that I've been kind of running through my head a lot lately. And I, I, I'm curious what you think, because I think I see a world where we have these game companies that want to be community focused, but aren't always willing or, as you said, organized to be so. And maybe some of them would just be better off saying, you know, we're going to be audience focused um, and we're just going to make sure that we're really in tune with who our audience is and we're going to tell them the things they want to hear. And, and, and I, but I think there's a clear delineation. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I see a delineation between audience and community. And I, I think some companies would be well to accept that.
1: I, I have a challenge with, uh, with, with the notion of considering players an audience um, I think it attracts two critical aspects from the equation. The first one is that this, in a, in a game of service, what you're starting is a conversation. An audience implies that players are on the receiving end of messaging as opposed to be part of a conversation. The second part is that compared to the term community, audience uh, removes the relationship players have with each other. Uh, so it's not only the relationship with the game makers, but the relationship with each other that goes away once you start using the word audience instead of community. And I also have a problem with the term management. I have never found a better. I still use it, but I never managed to find a better one because we any community ma- manager or the salt will tell you they're not managing anything. Right? Like they're not really managing a community. Uh, if they think or say that they're managing a community probably they need more work uh, (laughs) or more experience.
0: Um, I agree with that uh, so much.
1: To me, the core of the work of community is taking responsibility over the ecosystem that the game creates um, and identifying every key element of that ecosystem and building programs and building support systems and communication systems that improve the quality of, of the ecosystem that you uh, I have willingly or unwillingly created. When you build World of Warcraft, when you will build Warcraft, sorry, the example would be you build Warcraft, there's a mod scene, a mod emerges, the, the mod becomes very popular and an entire genre of gaming emerges out of the ashes of that mod. That is an example of the ecosystem you have created. You have created, a dec- uh, when, when you make another game, and in a country in Asia, people start watching people competing while this game is being played, and then that becomes a major spectacle that is broadcasted by national televisions. That is the ecosystem you created. To be a game maker and decide to be take yourself out of that equation and not and ignore the ecosystem that you're building will generate will you you'll pay a price. Down the line right like an entire genre of gaming that you could be part of it is created and you're not part of it you have a, an entire esport ecosystem that has been created that you need to claim uh, uh, you, you're, you, you need to find a way to re-enter while you were the one that created it in the first place and so that's where community comes into play community is the recognition that that ecosystem exists and that building those relationships is fundamental to a game as a service, uh, in order to help, in order to grow, in all, in order to uh, think even bigger about the type of experiences that you could deliver that are not just a game experience anymore. It's the entire meta game around the game that you could be playing in.
0: Well, and look, this is this is why um, you've worked with these big companies. Right, like because you recognize this, and I mean, I'm sold. Shay, I'm guessing you're sold. Um, I'm sold. (laughs) But I don't want to say "but." I want to say "yes and." Right? Yes, and there is still this challenge for these companies to to do what you said to to live this out to understand the difference between a community and an audience. Um, I I I guess where the reason why I bring this up is because you know. I see the companies fail to acknowledge that bigger component, that that eco that awareness of an ecosystem that's at play. I think some of it is frankly that we are going global really fast in ways that we don't even yet understand. How I could possibly be expected to manage, much less understand a community in China or Korea is I think really hard. And that's, you know, back, I think that goes back to your organization, right? Like how are you organizing your company um, to achieve those goals? Uh, But it's tricky, right? I mean, and you know, you've worked with, let's talk about the fact that you've worked with some of the really big players in the industry now, like, what is it like for you to be the one that's essentially trying to sell through this story? And, you know, and some of them, uh, I think we could agree have listened better than others. Um, you know what is that challenge like, and how do you how do you feel so confident and uh, in your ability to kind of persist with that story? Because what you just told me, it was different, it was better, but it was the same thing that you told me when we first met. You know, when you brought me onto the community team at Riot Games, and it was like, yes. He he gets it in a way that I don't even know that I fully get it. But now, you know, but I'm someone coming to work for you. So I'm I'm gonna go and try to achieve, you know, at a certain level a du, a duplication, right? But now you have to go and convince you know, we were both talking about how we heard Mark Merrill in a in a clubhouse, right? So you've got to make sure that Mark Merrill buys it. You've got to make sure that, you know, at one point, probably a Mike Morheim buys it. You've got to make sure a Jeff Bezos buys it. Or I'm forgetting all the executives at Wizards of the Coast. Sorry, guys. um, Sorry, leaders there. But, you know, like you have to go and sell this through. What's that like? Has that changed? Is it easier? Is it harder? I mean, you said you feel like we're not where we need to be. So that makes me think... Maybe it's a little bit harder right now.
1: Right now, it's a little bit harder because all the focus is in making new games, uh, and uh, and so anything that is not making a new game um, is needs to be secondary. And I totally respect it and understand it. I do. So going back to the first part of the question, I do believe that the key to success is to love and respect all the parties involved in that relationship. Right? If you are a relationship builder. And don't respect game makers on don't or don't respect players. You are in the wrong place. Um, you need to be able to equally love the, love both parties because you are the facilitator. You are right in the middle of that relationship, and you need to step one, listen and understand both parties and understand what they want. And then step two, prove over and over and over again that you are there to help that relationship. Trust is your currency, the only currency that you have. If the game team trusts you, when you say players have expressed this need, then the game team will feel the duty to address the need because you, the person they trust, has interpreted the language of, of the players and that's what they're reporting back. Vice versa, when you speak to the players, the players need to Assume you're authentic and assume that you're telling them uh, that you, you have their best interest in mind and you're trying to address uh, their questions. So that's the starting point of that. But then the evolution of that becomes when you manage to become self-effacing and move in back in the background because really the players don't want to hear from you. The players want to hear from the game designer the player want want to have a dialogue directly with the people that are imagining and creating these visions and uh, they are bringing them to them that they are changing the game that they love and play and so they have a huge power on those are the people they really want to talk to so you're extremely successful as a leader in the community space when culture and trust are the core of what you build. You're building an internal culture with your organization that makes it so that the need of players are the centerpiece of the equation and you're building trust with the players that their needs are being heard. Um, and and so that's the job, right? Like that's, that's, that's what uh, uh, separates a good uh, community organization from one that needs to Grow.
0: I think that's there's there's so much to unpack there, in terms of you know what what are some of the challenges you see right now beyond just the fact that you know we're at this time where there's a huge investment in the development of the next game, right? Like we kind of saw the rise the rise of Fortnite, you know, and and now Fortnite's kind of I think at a good place, but it's definitely not what it was. It's and you know everyone's racing to be next. We're seeing new markets. Ilya, you'd be amazed how much time I'm thinking about Roblox these days. It's crazy and it's not just cuz it's not just cuz my kids are playing it, right? Like it's it's a it's an important part of the ecosystem. I guess my question is is like where do you see the challenges um that that you know we're not hitting today beyond the game development? Like is it um and and what do you think is going to need to over, like you know, what are the tools we're going to need to start developing to overcome that?
1: Well, where do I begin?
0: Um, (laughs) No small questions today, Elia.
1: So the first is cultural and strategic for each one of these companies, right? Um, I hope that all the players involved in the game as a service space will understand that transition challenge that I described before. They understand that switching mode, skill, leadership, everything once you have launched and you're successful with your game is critical um, because now you're managing an ecosystem you're no longer making a game um, and, uh, and so that's, that's the challenge if you manage to just address that one and really transform yourself as a company as a studio as an organization um, that's that's half the battle right there The second challenge is scalability um, for two reasons, cultural and uh, in terms of execution. Uh, All these companies I work for, a bunch of kids with their passion and their vision that had barely the money to put together their first couple of games. And then all of a sudden they started, they hit success, they hit home runs, and now they're hiring hundreds, thousands of people. It's not the same company, right? Like the, the the group of kids that started all these amazing organizations, and the, the companies we have now are different beasts. And so the other challenge is for the newcomers, for the next companies, for the next Riot, for the next Blizzard, for the next Wizards of the Coast, uh, is going to be the same. Like, how do you handle growth? How do you scale uh, and retain whatever identity and whatever values made you successful in the first place because you want to repeat that exercise right riot has done an amazing job in the last couple of years in showing that they could be riot games Uh, it took a lot of effort right like (laughs) it took work um and so yeah that the second challenge is for for the next generation of uh, big game as a service companies uh it's gonna be scale and then uh, to, to, to retain identity. And then I want to say a third challenge is to give a name to community, um, meaning that, that the ecosystem management, like the, to today, none of these companies, there's a vice president of community, right? Um, it's like it's an interesting point. trait. There's vice presidents of every discipline from production to QA to customer service. There's no such a thing as a vice president of community in gaming. Um And uh, that speaks to the role that the community discipline has been relegated to, which is a narrow and badly structured or badly understood uh, place in the organization. And in absence of community, in absence of strong leadership, big teams, uh, big resources like everybody else does have, the result is that ecosystem management becomes something that is the result of... Random actions, it's the best uh, I can say. Meaning all these components are, are, are well-meant. They're all by gamers, and so they do good things. They do things that are in sync with what gamers want, but they're not orchestrated. There's no like ecosystem management strategy that is orchestrating the actions of a number of actors in the organization. It's the result of the empathy and the goodwill of the people that work in the organization, not a professional, (laughs) professionally structured uh, action.
0: I think the other challenge too is you'll have, because you don't kind of have that top down leadership, as you mentioned, who, you know, it it can feel especially, I I mean, I've felt that I've felt this in my career it can feel very push-pull and like you're kind of getting pulled in multiple directions because you'll have one team that's going to focus on esports. You have one team that's going to focus on this. You have one team that's going to focus on that. And, it, you know, you you can almost become competitive within the same organization. Um, and it's not like, I don't even think it's like with ill intent for anybody. I mean, it can be, but that's not really what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about this like, I'm doing this, you're doing that, she's doing that, they're doing that. But we've kind of got like maybe a really big bucket pie in the sky dream and that fits like you said, right? Like we're all we're all empathetic, we're all really want to be seen as 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 good stewards of of these opportunities. Um but because there's not like look, this is really what we're going to try to do strategically and then building out the plan for it on a for lack of a better term, a global level, it it does seem like there's less consistency. And you can, I think you can see it if you look at, if you really di- di- deep dive into almost any major game community, you're probably going to feel that um, pretty quickly. You know, I'll use an example, right? Because it's probably my favorite game as a service. And I, it's funny, I just noticed I haven't played since February. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm what you call a churn player right now, but I have a ton of hours in PUBG. And, you know, I was very excited when they started esports, but the esports they presented wasn't... I didn't really get it, right? And I didn't want it to be a Counter-Strike, like, really... um Fast twitch action. I was probably in the minority, right? But like, they never, they could never sell through the story. It felt very much like, well, we got to have esports, and we have to have esports that compete with other games. But I, I don't play those other games. I play PUBG. Like, I want an esports experience that's unique to PUBG. I, I, for me, I think this is a good example of what we're talking about on a personal level. But I, I imagine if we were to go through and really look at the industry, we would see your point over and over and over again.
1: Um there's a long conversation, obviously, on how to build esports for a game. I gave a presentation at GDC two years ago on the topic. And uh, there's two approaches that matter. One of them is, so first you need critical mass. If you don't have critical mass, it's probably unlikely that you're going to build anything significant or that esports is going to be the one thing that will give you the critical mass. Um, So you first need to have critical mass. And assuming that you have a game and you have a competitive game and you you have critical mass, one first approach is to just look at what players are doing with it and then build your esport infrastructure on top of it. So your lack of satisfaction for PUBG esports possibly emerges from the fact that uh, it was not the type of activity you would engage into, like m- maybe it was in- superimposed on a community as opposed to be the amplification of what the community was doing. So that's one approach. But then there's another approach that needs to force in, so to speak, competitive play that is that, that tries to accomplish something that has not been accomplished before. And sometimes you have to do it, even though it's against the grain, even though it's a new idea that is not what the world is using your game for. And I'll use the World Championship Series for StarCraft II as the example. When I joined Blizzard, I was by name the head of community in esports, but esports was an exercise of uh, creating, um, like legitimizing. The existing organization so it was a, a right management um exercise blizzard did not have except for the occasional tournament run at blizzcon did not have esports programs there's there was not like it was not and 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 at that time when i i went to the leadership and and and, and presented the plan what my case was blizzard needs to be the first company in video gaming that builds an actual esport program, and we need to do something very different than what the world is doing. The world, right now, eSports is the Korean game that the rest of the world gets to enjoy. eSports, and I love Korea, and it's still to today expressing the highest level of play for many of the games we'll enjoy, including first and foremost, Starcraft. Um, but obviously, for the, the evolution of, of esports, if you wanted for esports to become a global phenomenon, we needed more winners. We needed somebody that is not just Korea to play this game. Because look at what happened to the NFL, right? It's an amazing game. I'm a hardcore Seahawks fan. And yet, if you are outside of North America, <laughs> you're really not that much into the nfl right so um so the world championship series was a a weird set of rules that very few people understood but for me it was the obvious play because it based basically took it from uh, magic the gathering the 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 global infrastructure for competition for magic and i applied it to to starcraft to create local heroes right the idea was maybe there's going to be a french champion maybe there's going to be a uh, a, cha- a Japanese champion. Maybe there's going to be uh, local championships that will create heroes for people. At the end, Koreans will win, and we, yeah. we all knew that, yes. right? Like, and it, for years to come, Korean will keep on winning. Yes. Uh, the same way, if, to you, if tomorrow you started running a series of uh, uh, American football leagues all around the country with a global final, guess who is yeah. going to win, right? Uh, but that's not the point. The point is that over time, esports can become a global phenomenon. New games might emerge, and uh, and new champions might emerge, and new schools could... It's going to take time, 5, 10, 15 years, it doesn't matter. It needs to become a global phenomenon. So that was my point. Um, well, I, I'll, I, I'll stop talking I mean, no, now. No, but, but, you're,
0: but you're right, and, you know, I... I'm notoriously bad at comparing sports and esports because of my background as a sports journalist, and so it just—it's a crutch, and, and I know it's a bad one. But your point is a hundred percent right, and all we have to do is look at basketball. Basketball was largely a regional sport until the Dream Team went to Europe in what 1992, and what happened was it changed Europe's perception of basketball. And it became more important across the continent. And now, when you look at the NBA, which is, you know, the premier level of basketball, a lot of the best players in the NBA are no longer American. They are all sorts of different. I mean, the Greek freak. I don't even want to try to say his last name, Shay. If you can say it, great. Um, I can. Giannis can't. Antetokounmpo. Thank you. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that was well pronounced. Oh, Shea's awesome. Um, you know, uh, and, and this has been going on and building, right? I, a friend of mine—not to talk about sports too much—but like a friend of mine pointed out that like all the great rebounders in the NBA today are European; they're international players. They're not Americans. So you, you're you're totally right. And what you what when it happens with an eSport and as it happens with an eSport, I imagine it also creates these new pockets of opportunity on how to play a game and what what a game should be played like, and and you know what. What are the right strategies, and what are the different approaches? And and so I, I, I think you're you're totally to something there, where you have to give these 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 communities, these still your word ecosystems, a chance to grow. Um, on the esports tip, you know, let's I I have weird opinions on esports right now. I, I find it sometimes compelling, and sometimes I'm a little bit lost. Um, I'm not paying as much attention to it as I was a year ago. Admittedly. Um, Part of that maybe just, you know, because I had reasons to last year that I don't now in terms of who I was working with. But, um you know, where, where are you feeling? You know, what's your feeling on esports right now? And, you know, we had that big bubble where all this money got poured into it. And then, of course, no money kind of came out. So everyone's like, is this a bubble? Is this real? Is this not real? Like, I mean, as a business, I have no idea if it's real or not. But as a an ecosystem, I, I absolutely 100% believe that it's going to continue to grow and, and be a real part of our industry.
1: Uh, where do I start? um Well, on one end, my stance on esports hasn't changed over the years. Um, I still do believe that the lessons of Wizards of the Coast, who is the true uh, organization that uh, organized its game around competition. Right? It's the first game company that in, back in the 90s, before Korea, before esports, before any other. It's the first modern gaming company that uh, understood that competition and the metagame around the player experience was the core of turning a game, a successful game like Magic, into an evergreen. And that lesson has yet to be learned by the video game industry, right? Uh, the video game industry has focused so much on the viewership aspect of the sport that they seem to keep uh, leaving behind the participatory aspect of the sport Uh, today every year hundreds of thousands possibly more than a million magic tournaments happen and these are live tournaments right like humans that before the pandemic i guess uh, would meet and play games in your friday night magic store in tokyo the same way it happens in turin There's goals for every tier of competition in the world of Magic the Gathering, right? Whether you're a kid in high school in your hobby game store, you can hope to win your local Friday Night Magic tournament that Friday. And then if you win that, then maybe you can win a regional event. And then if you win that, maybe you can go to the next tier. There is competition for everyone across the infrastructure, all achievable goals. And uh, and that's the focus of what made Magic the incredible Evergreen game. On top of the fact that it's obviously a, a, an exceptional game, um, and uh, and for some reason the gaming industry has decided to just focus on the top of the pyramid but, and, and
0: leaving everything. We behind. should so, tell everybody what the pyramid is. <laughs> like, you know, I, you and I for us, it's it's very clear because we. I mean, it's a running meme among our our community of people in the industry, but. You know, I would. I think it'd be great. Shay, do you know? Do you know what he's talking about when he says the pyramid? I think I do, but only because I looked up uh, his speech from the GDC vault and found the PowerPoint slide of the full competitive pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I would have had no idea. The master slide right there, Ilya. For those that haven't watched your GDC um, presentation or, or, or you know, aren't like me and and just like you know, we running joke about it like what what does the pyramid represent to you in terms of you know I'll'll I'll give them the headline competitive play
1: yeah uh, absolutely it's not particularly mysterious but yes it is a running joke <laughs> in our little group um, I the teams in the companies that I work for mock me because I obsessively draw pyramids on the whiteboards and it's always the same pyramid right it shows the professional tier at the top and then it goes down to amateur uh, all the way to local all the way to you literally you playing with your friends and what it means to you winning that microcosm that that atomic element of competition right and it speaks about achievable goals it speaks about how motivating it is for each tier to go up the train Uh, this mimics my experience when i was growing up i was a kid in a town in italy and then suddenly magic became this important element of my life because i could assert myself at progressive tiers of the competition and when i went to all the way to the pro tour and came back to my local community the amount of energy and passion and and community building that i did by Just what I represented and what others like me represented uh, is the core of the engine, the community engine of the competitive ecosystem. So uh, I feel gaming companies have left the grassroots aspects of competition behind, other than Magic, obviously that has made the centerpiece of their construction. And uh, at Blizzard and then a Riot, and in some ways that... I in those companies i tried to take those those uh, programs and those structures and so the collegiate program for league of legends uh rather than the viewing parties for uh for starcraft rather than uh sanctioned tournament system and then at some point I, I kept on failing right at at explaining i tried to explain to to the game teams uh what i meant uh, and this was on me right like i never had really the the vocabulary or the tools to to explain myself. So I was so frustrated one day at Riot that I invited uh, Richard Garfield and Skaf Elias. Richard Garfield is the creator of Magic the Gathering, and Skaf Elias was the mind that created the Pro Tour back in the 90s and uh, the organized play system for Wizards of the Coast. And they came to Riot uh, very, uh, and I'm still very grateful for to them for for what they did they came and they gave a speech everybody showed up because thank god this is richard garfield <laughs> that is speaking and uh and they gave a speech uh about the birth of magic and after that one entire team it was at riot changed their name to metagame team and and clearly that speech made a difference right um we always i always wanted and and, and tried to push to put a tournament system inside of the client of uh, League of Legends, and I failed at that. But in recent times, finally Clash uh, appeared in the client, and uh, I'm not placing any direct correlation, of course. But I'm happy that 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 Riot is exploring the space.
0: Um, okay, it's it's interesting. You know, I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate a little bit Please. as a as a terrible segue to my favorite Ilya story. Um, Because you said something about, well, there's so much tension on viewership, but I, I, you know, I got to say like, there's really something there on the viewership side. And so I'm going to go to that atomic level that you brought up. And I'm going to, I want, I want us to share the story about the time there was a fire alarm at Riot Games (laughs) and you were playing a ranked game through a fire alarm. So, um, and, and and I get to I get to I, I'm a terrible League of Legends player, but I think I'm more proud of, of that moment, of that victory that Ilya had than in any of my play <laughs> in League of Legends because I happen to have a mouse. So I'll set it up. But Ilya, I want you to like fill in some of the gaps. Ilya was playing a ranked game. He was playing his beloved Anivia um, and we were in kind of the community pit in the office. It was still fairly new. We hadn't been there very long. And all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. And of course you have to leave the building and Ilya's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm in the middle of a raid game. I can't leave this. Come on, like player experience first or whatever the the riot platitude was that we were talking at the time. And you were visibly stressed. Like you were like very, un, or at least my, my remembrance was you being very unhappy about it. And so we cobbled together, I think, um, one of our coworkers, Jeff Chandler, had his laptop. So you switched in the middle of the game from your computer, which was a PC, to his computer. So you logged in and then you're like, but how am I going to play on a MacBook? There's no mouse. And I was like, wait, here, I have my bag. I have a mouse in my bag and you can use my mouse as a mouse as a mouse pad. And Ilya literally sat down in front of at least a dozen rioters I want to say like crisscross style, like you were a little kid in, in like kindergarten and played his game right there in the middle of the parking lot. And Was this a placement game?
1: It was a, it, it was a, a place by game It was to get from bronze to silver. So it was a massive deal for me at the time. Still would be a, like, I still suck, right? I have 2.5 million points with Anivia to the point that when I start playing games, the opposing team goes, hey, Anivia, do you have a life? <laughs> it must suck to be you. Like, do you only play League of Legends? Like, stuff like that. Uh, and I still, I'm still silver. Like, I got to gold once. Uh, so I'm really bad. Um, but uh, but that game uh, it, it it was more the context right like it was you guys being around and it was just fun uh, the idea that you could just endure and and get get it through and so yeah it was, it took a couple <laughs> of computer switches and mouses and, and playing in on the asphalt in uh, in the parking lot with people cheering <laughs> that was really fun I,
0: well and i mean but i the reason why I brought it up in this context is like there is a value to having an audience because look, I'm probably never going to play League of Legends seriously again. I just it's so hard for me. I just the pointing and the clicking and the it's like it, it gets really fast where I just go, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I never got over the hump. I'll probably play other games, right? I prefer first person shooter, whatever. Um, no excuses. It's just, it is what it is, but I will never forget that moment. And I will even when I think about how bad some of my league of legends experiences were, if someone puts league of legends on the TV, you know, or on my computer, I'll almost always watch for a minute. And there's a certain fanship I have. I definitely, a, a in the, the respect, just, I think any of us that have worked on league, th- there's always just going to be this certain respect you have because it's so big and it's, it's just such a, Goliath uh, of a game, and to persist the way it has, and, and the way it will. Um, there, there's so much like pride of you know just being a part of that. I have, but there, I think there is something there to the viewership, and and you know, and I think that's a good example. And but that's where we get back to, like almost we're going all the way back to the start of the conversation, Ilya, where you have this idea of these ecosystems and understanding what to prioritize as a company. How do you talk to these communities? How do you how do you make sure you're really delivering on what they need? And I think esports is in a tough spot because maybe what you're saying is what we need to really build out for esports is not, um, not particularly sexy and it's hard to quantify.
1: So I, I, I do think that video game companies can, can accomplish both. Prioritizing the different tiers of the pyramid in different phases of the life of the game uh is the right approach and so you if, if i were to start a game from the beginning i would first build the infrastructure of competition around the, the players and then graduate so to speak to the professionals here later um i do believe that the economic uh, engine of esports can work uh I don't think the video game companies have found all the ways in which it can work. One example is the the cards that Wizards of the Coast uses to incentivize the grassroots competitive play. Promotional cards, alternate art cards, are given out and they are so valuable on the secondary market that they function as incentive for every part of the infrastructure to work. Whether you're a tournament organizer, whether you're a player, whether you're a judge, promo cards, very cheap to create, very high value for who receives them, are the monetary engine, so to speak, of the equation. To some extent, Valve has discovered that.
0: Yeah, international.
1: And they they hit a a home run with international and they understood that in-game items can be used as the monetary engine for eSports. I'm still curious why that has not become a widespread practice across gaming companies. If you're building a program to incentivize behaviors, competitive behaviors, whether they are organizing, broadcasting, or participating in a competitive ecosystem, why not create... An economy around it, like these other companies have already successful showed how to do. Well, I've, that's one interesting approach that fe- I feels
0: underexplored. I, I think the challenge there—I oh, don't want to say challenge—I think what happened, you know, just like to try to get this, say this as succinctly as possible—is Epic saw the opportunity to just create a battle pass to encourage play, and and by. Going to that lower base denomination of, hey, just play our game and you'll get cool shit. Um, They realize that we can continue to build out the pyramid, as you as you call it, without having to incentivize because we're just going to incentivize at that base level, play our game instead of somebody else. I saw it myself, man. I played a ton a ton of Fortnite, both with my son and by myself during the Marvel battle pass, because I'm a big Marvel nerd. And it was like, well, I have to get the Dr. Doom skin and I've got to get this. And then we had, you know, we had people I know, you know, someone that we just brought up, Jeff, um, he, uh, he was optimizing his play every day so he could hit the level cap. So I, I think that's where, you know, you, I think to answer your question, I think it's, um, we're not seeing it because, the game companies optimize it just to play the game and you know, the competitive became a secondary opportunity that was just not as seen as not deemed as important. That that's, that'd be my, my argument on, on what you just asked.
1: Uh, I think uh, it's a very solid argument. Um, and that's uh, the, like the, the, the targeting, the, Lowest possible den- den- denominator in order to make the game more accessible to everyone is a, actually a noble pursuit. Like, I do want for these games to be accessible for everyone, and I do want for there to be a rewards system for people that participate. It doesn't explain why you wouldn't do also mm. the competitive side, right? Because creating virtual items is not expensive. Sure. At the end of the day, you can. Realize uh, aspects of e- your ecosystem that you cannot reach by simply rewarding play. There's to today not a satisfying to me at least collegiate program that elevates collegiate and high school high school maybe even more importantly so uh, competitive play to a level of making it as accepted by the mainstream as other sports. I,
0: well, I mean, you know, you're talking near and dear to my heart. I mean, one of the last things I did at Riot was trying to get the ball rolling on high school. And um, it it's happening and it's happened and it's definitely improved and grown. But I, I think you're totally right. There's very limited incentive on the game developer or game publisher side, it's largely being driven by third parties at this stage. Whether that's a teacher who sees an opportunity to better educate his students, or a third-party business that thinks they can make money off of it, um, and I think that's a really good point. Do you see it coming? But, 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 Is it coming, it or are we I, still I, not there yet? I,
1: I don't. There's a perception of little incentive, but I think. Uh, if one were to appreciate the importance of niches, um, they would understand that the incentive is actually there. Um, think about like all of gaming has emerged based on niches. Right? Yeah. the entire history of our hobby is based on a bunch of kids that were playing this obscure game called Dungeons and Dragons. A bunch of nerds that were playing this stupid card game that God knows what. Like probably. With numbers on it why are you playing that stuff Um, like a bunch of kids that were watching other people playing games who are you like it's it's all niches it's always been the core gaming and yet look at where we are today look at where core gaming has brought gaming to Uh, it's not that it's not that mainstream gaming has dominated and then some core gaming has emerged out of it it's vice versa core gaming has dominated and then it became tried to become a little more mainstream. So I believe that by caring about colleges, caring about high schools, caring about smaller communities, your impact is way bigger than just the people you directly affect. I think that in America, more than anywhere else, if you see what happened with basketball, and college basketball and the importance that it and the impact it had once like like in Italy college basketball doesn't matter like I mean you, you're you not watching it on TV Here, it's an obsession it's called March Madness yeah. like like it's an obsession it's in, in some states college basketball is bigger than absolutely than the NBA um, I mean
0: football so, Friday Night Lights in Texas it means something there you go. and then you wonder why all these great pro football players are from Texas. No, you don't wonder, you know why it's like literally in, it's in the water there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I hope we get there sooner than later because, especially because, you know, one of the things near and dear for me is this idea of working on a, I'm going to steal riots, uh, phrase for League of legends when I don't know if you were there or not, but I always loved when they said, well, we want to make something that lasts for generations. And I mean, that went back to me from my first game I worked on in the industry, Maple Story, this idea that like I can work on something like a Mickey Mouse, but that it's a game and that it's gonna like evolve and persist. Um, and I I, I absolutely think you have to build this this pyramid to make that a reality. You know, the reason why basketball has thrived is because of the pyramid. The reason why football has thrived is because because they have their own pyramid, and so it's um, it's definitely a it's an important element that I agree with you. We have not identified the the either the value or the road, and I'm hoping to see it happen sooner than later. And you know, we're making progress, just maybe not as fast as folks like us want.
1: Yeah. If you had asked me five years ago, I would have expected us to be way further down the path of all of this. But as I mentioned, I think the gaming industry has switched a lot of focus to making games um, in the first place and advancing the the experience, the core experiences that we can deliver. And so it's hard that once you're focusing on the core experience to focus on the, the, the greater experience that you're hoping to be able to Develop once the game is successful.
0: Well, and I think that goes back to our our games were largely products until the last ten years, at least in North America, right? Yeah. And now we have the service component, and that speaks to the ecosystem, and that speaks to this challenge we have to understand and be empathetic and communicate with niches of communities. Um, you know, I think somebody recently used the phrase, "I love." Subcultures within subcultures, you know, and so that's that's um, that's a great yeah, that's that's like what is happening. Um, okay, look, we could go on on this one, uh, you know, easily another hour, but I want to, um, I want to, I want to, I've been pushing you on all the big picture stuff because you're so eloquent about it, you really think about it, it's clear, you care, but now I want to talk some real. Some 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 more near and dear stuff. Like what what are you actually playing right now besides besides Anivia? Like what what <laughs> games capturing your attention? What you know? What am I not playing that I should be? Um, you know what? And and is there any community that you're kind of invested in right now that you're not working on? Right? It's not it's not work community, but like you're like wow, this community is is really doing some neat stuff.
1: So I. My, my gaming patterns are the following. I play a lot of League. I play a lot of MTG Arena. So my two loves growing up, I have remained with me and they keep on being part of my... Uh, I truly, through, truly enjoyed Wild Rift, the mobile version of League of Legends that recently came out in North America. I think it redefines the expectations of what a mobile game can be uh it blew me away like it's really like i couldn't couldn't believe how much game they managed to pack in that in that mobile experience and and, and the business practices i hope the rest of the world like learns from riot on on these things uh, i also play every game that gets uh rated. Like, I rated even rediscovering some old games. Um, I recently enjoyed, for example, Hitman 3 that I somehow had completely missed on in all these years. And I just realized how incredible this these scenarios and these settings that they create are and and the creativity that goes behind i i, I was not, not in love with the premise of the game i need to kill people uh but but then once you play the game you get it and it's not about killing people it's about the creativity of the the setting
0: i mean um, it's called hitman
1: it's called hitman yes <laughs> but but that's what put me off to some extent right i'm i am i am always the, the idiot that plays the good guys in every game like whenever there's a choice i always go oh, whatever the nice direction is so it's hard for me to play the evil guy but he's not really an evil guy once you find out um and um and then uh, i i play a bunch of indie games like lots of indie games because of my work right today i do business development for uh, amazon games and so i'm trying to find great uh, smaller uh developers that uh, that amazon can help to bring to uh to players their games and, uh and so I'm, I'm like every day I'm trying one or two uh new wow. indies. uh recently one I, that I liked was it's called trials of fire oh, yes yeah. and dax uh, uh, Roguelike. Yeah.
0: do you know it yeah I played it in early access it's 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 really well done Dax and um I can see his face but I can't think of his name the the designer on it are they're really great we met at e3 a few years ago I'm so happy that game has crushed um yep yeah that's a
1: it's my cup of tea. I, it's a roguelike. It has a, a card gaming component, a tactics component, and a, 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 a
0: little RPG dusting on top of it. It's really it's hard though. I mean, yes, I, I, I played for a couple oh, hours and then I was like, ah, I kind of, I'm, I'm a hardcore, uh, dark souls, oh, yeah. uh, souls born player.
1: So I like the punishment. Clearly. All
0: right. Um, you know, we didn't talk about Amazon, you know, Uh, give Amazon games a plug or, you know, tell us a little bit about what it's like there. You know um, I I think uh, from the outside looking in, you know, there's two components, right? There's the, the the headlines of the challenges that Amazon's encountering being a part of the games industry. But then there's also the, the reality that, Holy cow, Amazon's part of the games industry. Um, You know, what, what, what for you is, has kind of been, um, you know that experience like because you and you've been there for a little while now. You know you've been kind of f- fighting this good fight for 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 some time.
1: Yeah, uh, I've been at Amazon at this point. This is my sixth year uh, at Amazon Games. Um, and uh, well, Amazon plays a role in games. Obviously, uh, AWS uh, uh, provides cloud services to a lot of the games that. Uh, are being played online and uh, Twitch is one of the greatest most amazing gaming communities out there um, in, the more, in more recent years among the things we worked on I think Prime Gaming uh, did had uh, a, 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 a big splash in terms of uh, its ability to drive value and drive um, content to uh, to the player community We hope, at some point, to also uh, deliver great content to players. Um, I'm personally excited about New World. I think think the team did did an amazing job, and I'm just looking forward to see the players play it. In these past few years, we've invited streamers to play uh the the game with us and we got their feedback uh, and uh um i'm and in the alphas and the betas that, and, and the ended the limited play opportunities that we put out really got great feedback so i'm i'm looking forward to see what what happens with new world and obviously i'm working to expand the portfolio of titles of amazon um me and and, and the rest of the business development team we're identifying great game teams that that amazon could be helping um amazon is an incredible opportunity it has a scope and a scale and uh, a determination to get there um we have had to learn our lessons right like we stumbled multiple times already um but uh, our job is to be humble, to learn every time we fall, and uh, to keep going. And that's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna be at it until uh, the players tell us that we've we've done right, that we we have something that they like.
0: Well, it's definitely um, in the meantime. I'll keep you know buying games on Amazon. Uh, it's pretty. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a Prime customer, and uh, and Twitch, like you said, is a truly great community. It'll be. it'll be exciting to see that moment when the game, the right game hits the right audience and, and how, um, you know, that changes it, you know, it'll just be another change. And, you know, we're in an industry of constant change, but, um, you know, we could, we could easily go another hour. I don't even think it would be hard, (laughs) but, um, you know, I just want to say, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your candor. Um, and, you know, we, This name was the name of this podcast. Community feedback loop is largely earthed from our conversations and my time working with you and and my time getting to know you over the last six years now, so um, six seven years. I think it's been maybe longer. I obviously can't do math. Um, So 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 thank you, and um, you know, look forward to talking to you again and, and seeing you in person. Right, like. Like this pandemic's got to end, man.
1: (laughs) Do you remember those days? (laughs) Barely. Thank you so much for having me. And I think what you're doing is really cool. Uh, I think the conversation on community needs to advance. And uh, this type of effort
0: is just the the right play. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Ilya. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Community Feedback Loop podcast. You can support the show by subscribing to Apple podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We'll catch you next week.